nothing uh, better to explain the book of Romans than um, these songs, How Great Is Our God. There's a couple of places in the book of Romans that talk about how great is our God at the end of chapters 9 through 11. See if I can get all this working out. Sound good back there? All right, so how great is our God. I will call upon the Lord. This last song about uh, being stirred by God's grace. It's one of the great concepts in the book of Romans. Um, we're, and I'm thankful that Scott has chosen um, this book for us to go through for the next few weeks. So my purpose today is to give you an overview of the book of Romans. And I plan on doing that by giving you some key words. I'm going to give you probably in five different points, briefly, two or three key words per point, if you want to write them down. And those words will be words that reoccur in the book of Romans and will be key to helping you understand it. I've been immersing myself in the book of Romans since the first of the year. I've probably listened to or read the book of Romans 16 to 20 times. And so um, I could, you know, exposit the rest of the evening. <laughs> and I feel kind of weird uh, today because, because it is an overview. I don't know entirely exactly how deep to get into things or what to share. Uh, and so that's why I put on my timer. But I definitely know there's some key words that will really help us. So I'm going to share those with you. And in about 30 minutes, I'll, I'll conclude it. And I already know where I'm landing. And I'm landing on the thought that the righteous shall live by faith, Amen. Romans 1.17. That's the theme of the book, and it's shared in the first chapter. Scott's going to talk about the first chapter next week, so we'll let him have all that thunder. But that's the theme of the book. Everything from beginning to end in Romans is to persuade us to allow God to make us righteous and to come to him by faith. Amen. That's what it's about. And there's a lot of fake ways to come to God that uh, people choose and go through. And so that's uh, one of the things that will be treated in the book of Romans. What I would also like to announce to you is, and to urge you to do is to read the book of Romans entirely through this week. And read it like it's one book. Just maybe read it a couple of times. And on your second reading through, if you're able to do that this week, I want you to try and think about a title for each chapter how you would entitle that chapter. And if you do that, what it will help you do is to, number one, understand that chapter as it fits into the big picture, because God inspired the whole book and he wants you to understand all the pieces of it. And it will help you understand the big picture. But the other thing it will help you do is when you are reading sections of Romans, you'll be able to remember, oh, that's uh, Romans 9 through 11, God talking about the election of the Israelites, grafting in. Chapter 11, the Gentiles and his kindness and mercy of grafting them in. And if those Jews that left or God had to remove from the, the olive tree, if they come back by faith, he'll graft them back in. It'll help you by writing a title chapter to remember that. Or chapter 12, living sacrifice. Give yourself as a living sacrifice. The whole chapter is about how to be a living sacrifice. And that's the first verse of chapter 12. But today I want to start out with with um, the idea of God's grace. So the first words I want to give you are grace, mercy, and kindness. Those words are throughout the book of Romans. And in chapter 1, Paul addresses uh, the Romans. And as he says, I'm, I'm, I'm a servant of Christ 
And you are the beloved people of God. Romans 1, 7. He reminds, he reminds the readers that they are beloved of God. Chapter 5, the idea of mercy really comes in powerfully. When uh, the idea that Adam, first man, brought sin into the world, and the second man, Jesus Christ, brought grace. And the more we sinned, the more our sins piled up, the more God's grace superseded that sin. And so, therefore, we're able to have peace with God, it says in the first part of chapter 5. Since we have peace with God uh, by our faith in Jesus Christ. And so we, we have that relationship of peace because God's grace, God's mercy, God's kindness, uh, His love is greater than all of our sin. You might think, well, that would, that would give someone a lighthearted attitude towards sin, which we'll talk about next. And so in chapter 6, he'll say, shall we continue in sin since God's mercy keeps piling up? Our sin is here and God's grace is greater than our sins. Shall we just keep on sinning? So that God's grace will keep piling up. And that's chapter 6. Of course not, he says. And he, he deals with how we can have a... Uh, remember how we came into faith. How we started uh, in that faith. And how that brought a change of heart. And how now we live unto Christ as his servants and not servants of sin. But those ideas of God's grace, mercy, and kindness are written all over the book of Romans. In chapter 8, one of my favorite chapters... When it talks about living in the Spirit, not living in the flesh. In chapter 8, it talks about when we live in the Spirit, our hearts are set on the things that the Spirit desires. Because of that, God has adopted us as children. And we call unto God, Abba, Father. Because we're not anymore servants of sin. We We are children of our God who has adopted us because of His love and His kindness and His grace and mercy. So those, those words are all throughout the book of Romans, and you'll be seeing them everywhere. But I really encourage you to look for those as you read through Romans. The second pair of words that I want you to look for as you read through Romans are the words sin and wrath. Particularly the word wrath. You'll be surprised how many times you read about God's wrath in the book of Romans. So we might ask, why is God angry? If God is kind and God is love, why is he angry? I'd like for you to open your Bibles to chapter 1 of Romans and verse 18. So either go on your phones and pull up one off the internet, or just open your, your Bibles. Romans 1.18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise and they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, animals, and creeping things. In short, God is angry 
because he there is only there's only two entities there is God and then there are created things God created everything and his creation particularly the crown of his creation mankind rejected him denied him and said no you didn't create us we'll make other gods that look like us that are superpower gods and we'll bow down to them or we'll make things with our own hands and we'll give our lives to those things that we create to our, with our own hands. But we reject you as our creator. Creation gives an amazing testimony of God. I, I grew up as the son of a beekeeper. My dad uh, raised uh, myself, my mom and dad, and my three brothers and I uh, out on a farm. We didn't farm produce. We, we had bees. And so uh, in the Imperial Valley, it was our job to move the bees around, sometimes bring them to Coachella Valley, Central California, pollinate, things like that. We learned a lot about bees. One of the things I learned about bees uh, was that whenever they need a food source or need to identify a food source, they send out spies, they send out trackers to go out there and find it, and then those, those worker bees come back to the colony and they'll, go, they'll make signals to the rest of the bees in the hive, and they'll all kind of congregate, and they'll do a dance on the honeycomb frame that's inside the bee box. They'll do a dance, and they'll, be, with a certain movement, point out where the sun is. And then they'll dance based on the position of the sun and do certain movements to communicate to the rest of the bees where the pollen is or where the flowers are, or where the water source is. And it's as predictable as anything once you see it and know what it is. And they're talking to each other and telling each other where to find the food source or the water source. Bees are so intelligent. They're incredibly intelligent insects. And so when, when I looked at that, and of course we benefited from it by taking their honey, stealing their honey and selling it to people. <laughs> um, but God created that. As I was reading about uh, different scientific articles and uh, evidences for the existence of God, several, several Christian scientists said that the more we keep on discovering the DNA change, the more we keep investigating, the more data that comes in, the more we discover about the subatomic particles. The word atom was actually an original word from Greek, which was atemin. And it was a combined work, a word of two. Ah is a neg negative word, not, and timon means divisible. Adam, years ago, when that word was invented, was thought, scientists said, we found the smallest indivisible particle that there is. It's called an atom. And now atomic scientists are finding out or discovering and saying there are many particles much smaller than atoms. And scientists say, the more we find out, the more we discover the more evidence there is for God, the harder it is to deny, to deny that there is a great designer over everything. All of creation was made so that mankind in whatever culture, whatever place on earth could go out and look at the farms, look at the fields, know that if I put a seed in the ground and plant it, it'll grow. I don't know how. There must be a great creator. Look at the stars. Look at all creation and say, God, I don't know what your name is. I haven't read about it. But I look at creation, and I know I'm not big enough to do that. My neighbors aren't big enough to do that. There must be an almighty God with great eternal power that created this. And yet, man said, 
No. And then in chapter 2, because that God, God's wrath against humankind. In chapter 2, there's a group of folks that are named as the Jews in verse 17. He said, who are you to accuse those in chapter 1 of not obeying God? You've been given the law. You've been given the Ten Commandments, and yet you did not obey it. And so God's wrath is spoken out against those who had revelation, had the Bible, and said they knew God. They taught those folks who didn't have revelation about God, and yet they themselves did not obey the Scriptures. And so you who say you know God, uh, do, you, uh, do you rob? Do you steal? Do you commit adultery? Do you break the law? You who have the law, do you break the very law you teach? And so the great conclusion in chapter Two and three will be all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Both those who had the testimony of creation, those who had the testimony of revelation, whether you had the testimony of God through the written word or whether you didn't and had it through just life itself, guess what? You rejected God. Sin. And that's why God's wrath is being revealed. He's been rejected. He's been uh, not thanked. And so because of that, his wrath against humanity. The third let, uh, set of words I want to give you is the word law and works of law. This will be a, a, a recurring phrase throughout the book of Romans and particularly meaningful to people who had revelation, who had the Old Testament. They were given a law. The only problem was they were unable to keep it. And nobody ever really kept the law until Jesus Christ came, and then he, he did keep the law. They made feeble attempts at keeping the law. One of the greatest, I think, excuses, or not excuses, but uh, maybe pieces of evidence that people put forth to justify themselves before God is, yes, God, I've made some mistakes, but look at all the good things I've done. Look at, look at how I've made up for that. So I want to give you a, an example of how I did that. I don't know, 10 or 11 years ago when I lived over in, in San Diego County, I was leaving Escondido on the 78 West, out of Escondido, going towards Oceanside. We had just come back from church camp, and um, I was serving. I had, had folks, a couple of folks in my pickup, maybe three. I think I dropped one off in Escondido and got their gear out of the back of my pickup and dropped it off with them. Still had two to take to Oceanside, and so as I'm driving out on the 78 West, just went over the 15 and was just getting up speed, uh, I, out of my rearview mirror I saw something fly out of my truck. And I was in the fast lane, and so uh, I was it just went off to the left of the median, ran back and got, turned out to be about a 12-inch square box. Uh, it had an aluminum pot in it, and the air just sucked it out of my truck. So I went and got it, threw it back in the truck, got in. Nobody was behind me. I'm going, yes, awesome, God, thank you. Nobody got hurt. Drove off, and then about a half a mile, a mile later, Right behind me, a highway patrol comes, pulls me over, and says, I saw you stop back there. What did you stop for? And I told her the story. And she said, well, you, were, you dumped your load on the freeway. 
And I said, well, yeah, but I went and got it, and nobody was behind me, and nobody saw except for you, and I secured it after that, and everything is good. She said, I'm sorry, I have to write you a ticket. So she wrote me a ticket. Well, I felt just like you're expressing right now. (laughs) I didn't do anything wrong. I made up for it. I'm going to court on this one. I'm going to win this one. So my date came up, and I waited my turn and went before the judge and gave him all the explanation. But I went back and picked it up, but nobody but was behind me, and uh, it was no danger to anybody, and everything was fine. And he said, by law, you're supposed to net and secure your load. Did you do that? And I said, no, I didn't do it, but it came out. I secured it after that. Nobody got hurt. And he said, I want you to know that that's, uh, that's a crime. You, you, you committed a crime there against traffic law violation. Pay $439 out in front with the lady at the front. So I felt pretty, pretty abused by that, or pretty, pretty bad about that, especially because later when I was telling my friend Pedro who installs garage doors, he said, well, that's nothing. I was coming back around Tierra Santa on the 52 West one time, and my whole ladder rack flew off with the garage, an old wooden garage door on it, and went all over the freeway. And I pulled over, and I, and I pulled off the garage door, and someone saw what happened, and they helped me move the ladder rack and the garage door. I left the garage door on the side, put the ladder rack back on with a couple of ice grips, and went on my way, never got caught. That made me feel even worse. Because <laughs> I, I didn't do that bad. Mine was a foot square cardboard box with an aluminum pot. That's unjust, I said, defending myself. But then I got to thinking about it even more. And this is something the judge said. Nobody was behind you. But what if somebody would have been behind you? What if, a, what if a, a lady and her kids were behind you and they swerve and miss and roll and crash and you leave some guy a widow because you didn't tie down your load? Yeah, I did break the law. We spend so much time justifying ourselves by saying, yeah, but I did this. Yeah, but I did that. Yeah, but I did the other. Law is simply meant to point out wrongdoing. That's all law does. And we can justify ourselves and excuse ourselves and say, but I'm not as bad as that person or the other person. Pedro's much worse than me. (laughs) But before God's eyes, God is concerned about the welfare of everybody, about the lady that could be behind you driving and swerve out of the way and cause a Worse crash because of your box flying out of your untied load. Law and the works of the law, keeping the law, will not make you right before God. And the reason is because nobody does it perfectly. As much as you want to say you do, you don't. Righteousness and justification are the next words I want you to really think about. As you read through the book of Romans and study it, listen to it on Sundays, righteousness and justification. If you're writing down in Spanish, you're only writing down one word. 
because it's the same word in Spanish. It's a little bit harder for us to understand in English. I put these words together because they both come from the same Greek word. And that word is dikaios. Righteousness is the state of being completely pure and free of guilt. And it has a legal sense to it. For example, I go before the judge, and if I had tied down my load, and the box hadn't flown out, and the highway patrol just imagined that it did, and she had no proof, and I go before him and say, there's no proof. That absolutely didn't happen. I have no idea what she was seeing. Maybe my truck kicked something up in the road, but it didn't come out of my truck. My truck was tied down, and I've got two witnesses. Then the judge would say, you are free of guilt. Unfortunately, that's not the way it was, particularly for the $439 that we gave to the city of Oceanside or San Marcos or wherever it was. Righteousness means you're free of guilt, and it has a legal implication to it. For us to stand before God and be declared free of guilt, that's what the book of Romans is talking about. Justification has more the idea of the one who justifies. In other words, God is just, the one who is justifying. In Spanish, both of these terms are justicia or justificación. It's the same word. So you see in Spanish that justicia, justificación is righteousness and justice or justification. It's the exact same word. But in English, I don't know why we have two words. But in Greek, it's the same word as well, dikaio. So when you read righteousness and justification in Romans... Remember, you're reading essentially the same words. God wants to justify you. God wants to say you are guiltless. But God has to be just. He can't be a corrupt judge. He can't just close his eyes and say that didn't happen when it did. And so that's God's dilemma. He's a God who wants justice and must have justice because of his own holiness Therefore, his wrath on sin. At the same time, he's a God that floods us with his love and wants to save us. That's the message of the book of Romans. Justification. How can the same God with those two personality traits do that? How can he justify us if we're really not justifiable? Which brings us to another word which is not very common in the book of Romans, but is extremely, extremely important. And it's the word propitiation. Propitiation. And if you want to know how to spell that, it's in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. I'm sorry, I don't have it. 25. Verse 24 says, Romans 3:24, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. In the Old Testament, there was a tabernacle, and at the front of the tabernacle there was a courtyard and a place called the holy place where the worshipers would bring their animals for sacrifice and begin the process. The priests would receive it there in the holy place. There was an altar burnt offering where majority of the work was done. 
uh, in that courtyard, in the holy place right behind that. But then there was a curtain, a very thick, tall curtain. And behind that there was the most holy place. In the most holy place, the Ark of the Covenant was kept. There were three items in the Ark of the Covenant. The two tablets, stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. The law, which people tried to keep, but nobody actually did keep it 100%. There was Aaron's staff, which represented God's guidance, leadership of his people. And there was manna, which represented God providing for his people. So you had symbols of provision. You had a symbol of leadership, the staff. And you had the law, which was what God expected the people to to put on their hearts and obey. The cover of the Ark of the Covenant was a lid called the propitiation, the covering. Propitiation is symbolic or or has the meaning of covering. And the primary reason that it needed a covering was because if we, or the high priest who went in there once a year, stood before the law of God without a covering, He'd be, he'd be fried. He'd be crispy critter. When we break God's law and, and we're faced with God's law, there needs to be something that buffers that. And in the case of the Old Testament, it was the cover on the Ark of the Covenant. Once a year, the priest would go in to the most holy place. There would be a great day of atonement, of expiation, of propitiation. In other words, of forgiveness. There would be two goats brought to the tabernacle. One would be a goat that would be over which all the sins of the people would would be confessed on the head of that goat. And that goat would be sacrificed for the sins of the people. The other goat was a goat called Azazel. That goat would also have the sins of the people confessed on it. But it would be taken out of camp and released. Far out of camp and released. And the Israelites would be told, if you ever see that goat wandering in the wilderness... Never go near it or touch it. And the symbolism is God was dealing with the Israelites' sin. When the goat was sacrificed with the the sins confessed on it, the priest would go in one time a year and he would sprinkle that blood on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant called the propitiation covering. But at the same time, another goat almost simultaneously would be taken and cast out into the set free in the desert, and that goat would be alive. So the people in the Old Testament had a symbol that, yes, our sins are temporarily dealt with, but there's a goat out in the desert reminding us they're still not finally finished. Year after year, I wonder how many goats they saw in the 40 years that they were going through the wilderness, Azazel goats wandering out there. But when Jesus came, Romans reveals, the Spirit says, Jesus is the final propitiation. He is, by your faith in him, he is the final covering of sin. The most interesting verse that I love uh, related to this is is in Hebrews 9.15, which I'm going to read for you because I want you to hear every word of it. Therefore, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions 
committed under the first covenant. How beautiful it is that the death of Jesus, a covering for the sins of the people, not only is a covering for our sins, but it's a covering for the sins of the people all the way back under the first covenant. And even beyond, everyone who has had faith in God as their leader and Savior. For the just shall live by faith. The one constant principle of all of the Bible is God has called his people. He's done it through different forms, different scenarios, but he's always said, I want you to trust me. And so, rightly so, the theme of the book of Romans is the righteous shall live by faith. And if you ask me, how were David's sins forgiven in the Old Testament? How were anybody's sins forgiven in the Old Testament? They were forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, which is the perfect covering, propitiation for sin, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect substitute to cover sin for all time, both forward and backward. That's the message of the book of Romans. But you can't have that covering unless you have faith, confidence, and trust in Jesus Christ. Finally, I want to end up with this one concept, which is repeated several times in the book of Romans, and that is the term faith and obedience of faith. Obedience of faith. Both in Romans 1, verse 5, Paul says, Through Jesus Christ, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. The concept of obedience of faith will reoccur. What is the obedience of faith? It's kind of like Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, if you want to reread that, where we're not saved by works, but we're saved to do good works. We're not saved. We don't, we don't do works looking forward to impress God and be saved. We simply put our trust in God, say, God, thank you for the offer of grace. Thank you for giving us forgiveness through Jesus Christ. My faith is in Jesus and you give to me, it's called imputing his righteousness of Jesus, crediting to me Jesus' righteousness because of my faith in what he did for me. And then out of that, when we ask, shall I keep on sinning because God's grace is so great, Romans 6, he'll say down in about verse 17, of course not. Don't you remember when you obeyed that form of doctrine which was given to you, you became servants of righteousness? That form of doctrine, when they obeyed that form of doctrine, that was the obedience of faith. In the book of Romans chapter 6, it's baptism. When they were baptized into Christ, that changed everything. They had a new Lord. They expressed their new faith. That obedience of faith and being immersed with Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection started a whole new life. Everything before that was living as a servant of sin. Everything there forward was living as a servant of righteousness in obedience of faith. And he'll end up the letter as well in chapter 16, a couple verses before the end. He says, again, I'm just reminding you, I'm calling all people, Gentiles and Jews, to the obedience of faith. So let's just wrap it up right there. We've gone about 32 or 3 minutes here.
I want to I want you to get excited about the book of Romans as uh, the ministers are speaking about the book of Romans. Next week it'll be chapter 1. Read the book of Romans, really read chapter 1. Be ready for an amazing message. Uh, you've got some key words you can start to be looking for. The other thing we're going to do is we're going to offer a, a class on Romans. Uh, if you want to study in depth the book of Romans, we'll be, we'll be starting that next week as well. That will happen wherever we're assembling. I think it's going to be in a park somewhere. That, that's what's happening. We're going, to, we're going to be there at 3 o'clock. If anybody would like to, to be part of that Romans study from 3 to 3.50, We'll find a tree, we'll find some tables, we'll find whatever the scenario is, we'll make it work. And uh, we'll have our first class on the book of Romans for anybody who would like to do that. I invite you to do that. Most of all, just immerse yourself in, uh, in God's revealed word, the book of Romans. And remember, this week, the righteous live by faith. So go forth living by faith in Jesus Christ this week.